Hello, church family. Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Legrand Sunday morning service. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be with you again this morning. It was fun to be on the couch with my kids last week, watching the service, knowing that many of you guys were logged on to Facebook and looking over YouTube or whatever way you got to the service. It was a blessing. Cannot wait, though, to have you guys back with us. Worship has been kind of a shell of itself as we're operating from the stage, singing these songs, and the, the worship team has been great to hang out with. But just having you guys sing back and hearing your voices echo throughout the sanctuary makes me realize that the worship team truly is the whole body of Christ, not just us on a stage. And so it's been good in that way, but want you to know that we miss you. Can't wait for uh, the government and the, the Lord really to make a way for us to be back together. I did want to share something with you that's um, been on my heart this week. My in the medical field, you guys know that a lot of there's a lot of anxiety right now. Nurses and doctors are worried about flattening the curve and how many patients might end up coming even to Grand Ronde Hospital. Nurses are reading articles uh, about what's going on in New York, what they see happening in California and Washington, and they're scared. And this fear is, is paralyzing at some level. You can see it begin to cause them to not think through things sometimes. And we're all having to remind each each other that this is what we signed up for and and this is why we're here and I think that probably you guys feel that at some level as well where you're at no matter what you're doing we're all affected by it but I was reading through Psalm 19 with the worship team again this week and there was a really great explanation of the difference between the fear of the Lord and the fear of the world or the fear that creeps in and causes anxiety and I just very plainly thought, I am not going to try to explain the fear of God in any other way but this way, because this is what his word says. In verse 9 of Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And I've been reminded this week that, you know what, who I fear has to be God. And it is a respect, it is a reverence, but really what describes it best is it's clean. It doesn't cause me anxiety, it doesn't cause me to be clouded in my ability to think or paralyzed, it causes me to want to serve. It causes me to want to know him more. It keeps me seeking his kingdom even in the midst of craziness. And I just really hope that in this season where your guys' concern is, is for eternity, and that you recognize this respect, this reverence, this fear of the Lord is clean in direct contrast to what we have going on in the world right now. So I hope you enjoy worship with us again this morning. Summer and Jesse, again, are going to be sharing a message with us. Uh, we're praying for them now. We ask that the Lord just fills them with His Spirit, that they're able to communicate truth, and that you bless this time of worship too, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much once again to be gathered in your name, to worship you. I'm really blessed to be able to have fellowship with the worship team and then also know that we're connecting with the body of Christ, even though it's online through multimedia. God, at this point, we're really thankful for technology, and we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that we have a hope and a trust that it goes beyond the temporal things in front of us. We're blessed that we're singing praises to the one who is in control, the one who is not shaken, the one whose kingdom lasts for eternity, 
And we cannot wait even more now today than ever before. We cannot wait, Lord, to be called home and be in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good.
Lord, we ask right now, as Summer and Jesse share from your word, what you've been speaking to them through the week, how encouraging it was last week to hear from them. What a blessing. So many of us uh, throughout the week discussing how blessed we were as you just filled them with your spirit and delivered a message through them. And we ask that you would do it again now. Be with our pastor, Rob, as he heals up uh, from his sickness. And thank you so much for bringing them back to us. We can't wait to hear from them hopefully next week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, everybody. We're going to start with some announcements. Hey, before you do, you have a joke. I want to read something. He has a joke. No, it's not a joke. It's just some good news. I was scrolling through my news feed, trying to find some encouraging news for all of us, and I found an article titled, Why is there still no toilet paper in the stores? And I won't read the whole article to you guys, but just want to let you know that according to this article, Atlanta-based Georgia Pacific, one of the world's leading manufacturers of bath tissue, says its mills and regional distribution centers shipped out 120% of normal capacity last week. So we should have some toilet paper in our stores soon. He's always looking for the blessings. Just wanted to share that good news (laughs) for you guys. All right, go ahead. All right. So I wanted to let you guys know that Pastor Rob is improving, but he's still um, not feeling well enough to be here with you guys this weekend. So we are hoping for next weekend. He was up at the hospital. He got some x-rays on his lungs, um, but he's now on antibiotics, and they think that that should start making him feel better. Mom did test because they were both sick uh, for the coronavirus, and she was negative. And since they both have the same exposures, they feel very confident that that means they're both negative. Um, I want to continue to pray for Wade as he works at the hospital and deals with a lot of stress on a daily basis, um, a lot of decisions being made, and as he pray for him as well as a lot of the other people working in the medical field. This is a very strange time and a stressful time for them. I want to pray for, uh, continue to pray for Josette and the other people in our body that are undergoing uh, chemo or cancer treatments. Uh, Darlene Barker. I I just wanted to share a praise. I was really blessed. I communicated with her a little bit this week and just the way that she's been checking up on different people in our body and the way that she's been serving and she herself is dealing with some health issues. I found that really encouraging and and such a blessing. So if you guys are thinking of of her, let's pray for her foot recovery. Um, There's a little boy named Cade that as of tonight when we're recording this, which is Friday, he's hospitalized. Uh, His parents have requested that we pray for him. Uh, he has issues with asthma, and so he's, um, it's a bit scary for them to be dealing with him being in the hospital during all this. I'm going to be praying for our church body, so all of you guys be lifting each other up in prayer. And also, um, my sister and brother-in-law go to Calvary Chapel, Boise, and we've had some contact with them. So just encourage you guys to be praying for them and then some other churches in the valley as God lays them on your heart so we can really be operating as the body of Christ and lifting each other up. I also want to let you guys know that we are working on getting um, sermons, all the sermons uh, from the week before all this online stuff started forward onto podcast format. I shared the link to that in our Facebook page, but hopefully soon I'll have it up on our website. Um, And then the previous 10 or so weeks, we've also been working on getting those up on the podcast. So you'll have some other materials to be encouraging yourself, be studying up, being connecting as a body, uh, studying the word. Wednesday night Bible Bible study is going to continue to be in a 
article format on our church blog, which you can find on our church web page. So you guys can hopefully either do it on your own on Wednesday night or um, gather together some family members different, or maybe do it uh, via FaceTime, however you want to do it, but connect with other people over the material, be in prayer over it. Uh, I want to let you guys know, in case you didn't already, I imagine most of you do, our website is cclegrand.com. Our Instagram handle is uh, at cclegrand. Our Facebook is Calvary Chapel Legrand. So you guys can find us there. Our um, services will be posted on our website and then, of course, on our YouTube channel and in the form of a Facebook watch party. All right. Okay. And just one more quick announcement. Uh, Youth group. Uh, this last Wednesday we did it on Instagram live and so if your kids are asking about youth group going forward for the next few weeks we'll continue to do that on Instagram and that's on the at CC Legrand underscore youth at 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights you can join us let your kids know that if they want to join Bible study they can do it that way all right I think with that let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the word Jesus, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for the church body at large. We thank you for our fellowship uh, here in the Grand and for the churches across the valley. And ask, Lord, that uh, you would just continue to, to be with those leaders of those churches, God, as we just adjust to doing things online and remotely. God, ask that uh, you would be glorified, your word would go out, and um, that the saints would just be equipped. Lord, we want to continue to pray for Rob and Don and ask for healing. Uh, lift Wade up and, and the nurses and the doctors. We thank you so much for them. Ask that you keep them safe and healthy. And um, God, we do just want to continue to pray for those um, that are sick right now. We want to continue to lift up Josette. Ask that you would heal her, God. We want to pray for Darlene and ask for quick healing and recovery from surgery. And uh, for Cade, God, that you would just uh, touch and heal him, that you would bring a peace to to him and his family as they uh, go through this scary time of him being in the hospital. And God, we just want to ask now that you would be glorified, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, and that you would uh, really just speak to each one of us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, this week we're going to be in James chapter 4, and so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, you can join us and and read along and uh, take notes as we go. And just wanted to kind of tie this into last week. We covered the the last part of James chapter 3 last Sunday, and so Summer and I just felt led to continue on in James chapter 4 this week. And last week we ended uh, with with James 3.18. And uh, I'll just read it again for for us. It says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so we're encouraged just to be peacemakers there. We talked about uh, the wisdom from above and how that plays an important part in us as believers and kind of contrasted that with what the the wisdom from the world looks like. And and right now we're seeing a lot of worldly wisdom um, being telecast across the the news across media and you know just kind of thinking about some of these coronavirus bills that are coming forth and uh, kind of these proposals to fund two trillion or up to six trillion uh, dollars worth of stimulus 
and you just think, Lord, we need your wisdom. There is a lot of earthly wisdom going on, not just in, in those areas, but just within uh, people across the globe dealing with this crisis. And so we want to be those that have wisdom from above, and we covered that last week, and it's just a, an opportunity for us as Christians to really shine and contrast the wisdom of the world. And so this week we want to continue in James 4, and, and James 4 really is a continuation of what we covered last week. Um, talked about being, a, you know, those that, that sow peace and make peace. And chapter 4, I like to break it up. I actually haven't ever read it this way before and, until we were studying for it this week. But I think it breaks up into four sections really nicely. So verses 1 through 6 deal with pride and how when we operate under pride, we are not a peacemaker. 7 through 10 deal with purity and, and how when we're operating in purity and humility, we are a peacemaker. Verses 11 and 12, it flips back to judgment and evil speaking and, and how that does not bring peace. And then it ends in 13 through 17 with us uh, submitting to God's plan and being peacemakers under God's plan and God's will. And so kind of a, a cool breakdown of James chapter 4 and how that continues this idea of being peacemakers. Uh, so with that, let's jump in and read the first six verses of chapter 4. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, we'll stop right there. Um, chapter 3 ended with this exhortation to be peacemakers. And when we look at how chapter 4 starts with this question of where do wars and fights come from, and there's always this aspect of carnality when we talk about warring and fighting amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is the context here. We're talking about believers, warring and fighting amongst believers. And so I like that James isn't so much concerned about saying who's right and who's wrong, but just that when, when that warring and fighting is taking place, you can be assured that there are evil desires that are the root cause of that warring and fighting. And so that just really contrasts with this fruit of righteousness that we talked about at the end of last week, um, that fruit of righteousness that makes peace. You know, and when you think about wars and fights, unfortunately, the church uh, or, or religion has this long history of a lot of warring and fighting. And, uh, you know, you can go all the way back to the Crusades um, or you can come to present day. And even in my time uh, as a believer, 20 years or so, um, I've seen some really ugly church splits and fights and wars that have taken place during that time. And so... You know, just this re reminder that as believers, we're vulnerable to this. We're vulnerable to these evil desires that cause these wars and these fights. Um, and the context, I think, within these first couple verses is not so much one person warring against another person, but it's this idea that within the church, there's this tendency 
to gather and to set people against other people. And it's, it's, we see it in church splits. It's never just one person disagreeing and leaving. They want to get everyone else upset about it and stir people up and take a whole group of people with them. And so James is warning about this. And if you think about it, this, James writes this letter maybe only 15 years after Jesus was crucified. So the Church of Jesus is, is only 15 years old at this point, and they're already dealing with this warring and fighting, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we can see the history and, and the trend here of how this can be a major problem within the body of Christ. Um, and, and James tells us that the root of all of this is really, really that we're striving. We have these evil desires. We have these lusts. We have these things that we want. And in our pursuit of those things, we cause these wars and, and these fights within the church. And I like that James uses the word murder in verse 2. He says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. And, you know, most of us are probably sitting here thinking, well, I would, I would never murder anyone within the church, you know, even if I got upset or mad at them. And it reminded me to go back and look at what Jesus said about murder. And it's really about our heart condition and, and our thought. To hate a brother or sister in Christ is really to commit murder. And so we just really have to watch ourselves, guard ourselves against this. You know, we can strive our entire life trying to fulfill our fleshly desires, and it's just emptiness. We're never satisfied. But when we pursue Jesus, like James is going to encourage us here in a little bit, that's where the real satisfaction is. And in verse 3, James says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And that word amiss means wrongly or miserably. You're asking wrongly or, or miserably, and it's for, for our own pleasure. And I, I was thinking about this as I was studying, and I was like, how many times over the last 20 years have I been asking God for something, and I kind of had this visual of God just like shaking his head and being like, no, you really don't want that, you know, <laughs> that is not what's best for you. And so certainly, uh, you know, we can have this tendency to ask out of a selfish desire, even when we're asking God for things. And I went back and was looking at the verse in, in Luke 11 about for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it'll be opened and I've always kind of struggled with these verses that talk about asking and receiving because there's obviously things that we ask for that are not part of God's plan and and we'll probably never receive them God is not going to grant those things or give those things but at the end of that section of scripture in verse 13 this is Luke eleven thirteen, he says that um, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father and your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so it, it just dawned on me that's the context. We're told to ask and receive, but what we're supposed to be asking for is the Holy Spirit. And then, full of the Spirit, we are led to ask for the things that are are part of God's will. And so, in in kind of these crazy times. How much more do we need the Holy Spirit? And we won't go there tonight, but you guys know this. We've taught about it a lot. Um, we're instructed to be asking for the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. It's not a one-time prayer that we pray when we're first saved, but it's a daily prayer. And so 
during these dif- difficult circumstances, uh, I just keep thinking, what an opportunity for the church to really produce some beautiful fruit in the world right now if we are filled with the Spirit and operating in God's wisdom. Verse 4, uh, James uses this language of adulterers and adulteresses, and he's writing to, to Jewish believers, and so he takes some language from the Old Testament here and speaks of just spiritual unfaithfulness. Uh, this isn't speaking of, of physical adultery, but a spiritual adultery where we're pursuing our evil desires, we're making friends with the world, and in doing so, we're becoming enemies of God. And that really is the end result of making a friend of the world is becoming an enemy of God. And so we can't, we can't have it both. We can't be friends with the world and friends with God. Uh, it's, it's one or the other. So our pursuit has to be God and not the things of this world. Um, if you jump back and just look, you might highlight James 2.23. Says that Abraham was a friend of God. So just some encouragement there to think about Abraham and and the relationship he had with God. What a what a title. What a you know um, what a way to be remembered and recorded in the Scripture as a friend of God. And then verse six, this section really ends. I I take this as a litmus test. You know, it says that God gives more grace. We know God wants to give grace. He is a gracious God. But he's gonna, it says that he resists the proud. And so if we find ourselves in this state of like feeling some resistance from God, and, and we'll talk a little bit what may, like maybe what that will look like in your life, but we can know that when we feel that resistance, it's because we're operating in pride. And, and the recipe here is that we need to humble ourselves. And then God is able to give us that grace, and we can begin operating in that grace. So. You know, I think about my own life and what that, <clears throat> what I think that looks like when I'm feeling resistance from God, and oftentimes it's it's this sensation that God just isn't answering my prayers. That it feels like God's not listening. Um, sometimes it feels like He just forgot about you. Right? Where are you, God? This spiritual poverty. But it's not that God has gone anywhere. It's <clears throat> that we have chosen to operate in pride and pursue our own evil desires. Um, But fortunately, God is a gracious God, and he wants to give us that grace if we will humble ourselves and return to him. And and I know you guys know this, but that word humble just means to be brought low, um, whereas pride means to be putting yourself above others. And so just kind of that contrast of of humbleness and pride. And I think Summer is going to talk a little bit more about that in this next section. Yeah. So, in case you guys won't notice on your own, I'm going to point it out that we're starting every section with the letter P for no particular reason, but it's fun. So, Jesse's first section, verses 1 through 6, was entitled Pride. Mine is entitled Purification. So, I will read through the verses 7 through 10 really quick. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay, so I've always loved James because he is so blunt. He does not... um, 
he makes sure you understand what not to do just as much as you understand what to do. And that is one of the things when Jesse and I were praying about where to share from today, we really wanted practical things because this is a time where it's really easy to feel lost and overwhelmed and what do I do next and people next to me are be, aren't behaving the way they should or whatever the case may be. We wanted really practical uh, life application. What do I do tomorrow? Like we talked about last week a little bit. What can I do tonight before I go to bed? Tomorrow when I wake up. So I've been taken by the pairings I've been seeing in my devotional readings lately. And <laughs> probably it's just seeing God not through so much of my own ADHD lens. So sometimes when I read things in the Bible that don't naturally go together in my brain, I'm like, oh, of course, you know, squirrel, <laughs> and then I'm on to the next thing. But God does not randomly just uh, cut and paste things together. It's with a purpose, and usually they're meant to teach us or show us something. So I wanted to, I, I just spent a lot of time contemplating why submission and resisting the devil, why those two together. Was it, um, what was it that got Lucifer thrown out of heaven? So this is the question that started bringing me some clarity. It was the lack of submission to the authority and leadership of God. So we should proceed with this awareness that there will always be that fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There will always be that thing that we can reach for that says, yeah, God, I know you said this, but this is kind of almost as the same and better. <laughs> I have a better idea, Lord, if you just listen to me for a moment. So the one thing that... Um, to kind of boil it down, I feel that Satan will always be offering us brotherhood or equality with God versus sonship. And so that thing of submission is actually a very important thing. And I'll get more into that in a moment. But these two verbs of submission and resistance, they're um, something to think on, resisting the devil. So we're going to talk about humility. And <laughs> a while ago, it's been 10 years maybe, I made the mistake of praying for humility don't recommend it. I had humiliating thing after humiliating, humiliating thing happen, uh, blows to my pride up, up and down all day long. And actually it was very good because I, I didn't consider myself a prideful person. You're going to contradict me. Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> but after a, a season of praying for that, I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, why is this so painful? And as well as because he's trying to extract the sin of pride out of my life and it's a horrible process. But at the same time, that I'm going to go over it here now, the amazing freedom that humility brings, is it's a, it's a great trade. So purity, um, according to these verses, you might say, is the antidote to pride. And, and why not humility? Well, initially, I had this big old argument all prepared, but I ditched it because I think that the path to purity, spiritual purity, and the path to true humility are parallel or maybe even the in the same tracks. So what are the elements of purity? So we're looking again, verses 7 through 10. We're going to submit to God, and that happens the moment you decide to go ahead and face him, enter into his presence. And the other side of that coin, of course, is resisting the devil. So if you ever noticed, okay, Lord, I would like to do some devotions. Tonight's the night. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. You have all these great intentions. And that's the night that you can't quit thinking about the fly and that's stuck in the light fixture. I mean, just random little things that never distracted you before will become super important. Um, and that's just a, a small trite example. But you guys, I believe, will know what I'm talking about. 
So they're submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing near to God, which is different. It's, it's part of this daily process that we decide we want to approach the throne. We want to be in his presence. Then there's the cleaning and the purification. This tends to happen as you draw near to God. And if you try to do this in the flesh, it just is stale legalism. So if there's a way to clean and purify yourself, I would think man would have figured it out by now. And I know many different religions have tried. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's just legalism. Mourning is the next one. As we are made more like Christ, we get a realistic view of who we are and how ugly our sin actually is compared to a pure and holy God. And that should cause us to mourn. So this is when the humility really happens. You go into the presence of God. You're drawing near to him. You're resisting the devil. And all of a sudden, you begin to see yourself realistically as compared to a perfect and holy God. And as an awesome teaching by Gail Irwin once shared, uh, that's devastating when you see yourself in the light of truth, in the, in the light of God's holiness. That's humility. It's a focus on God and seeing ourselves realistically and not a self-debasing counterfeit. Um, that whole thing of, you know, I'm no good, nobody likes me. Uh, we, or I'm, I, yeah, I tried, I'm just not that good at it. But you know you're like waiting and hoping somebody will kind of give you that extra gold star or kudos. Um, so I'm going to give you a few reasons why not to indulge in the counterfeit, the counterfeit humility that really is just pride in disguise, probably. It deceives you into thinking you're already living in humility when you're actually focused on yourself. I'm not very good. I'm just a piece of scum. I this, I that. What a bummer, because you're missing out on the presence of God. That is, you can achieve that false humility without ever drawing near to God. And so, what a horrible counterfeit to be stuck in my own self-loathing or my own false humility versus the presence of God. Another thing is it keeps you wallowing in that guilt and shame, which is right where Satan would love to keep you. There is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then there's shame. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit will move you out of your sin towards holiness versus that stale wallowing that keeps you stuck and, and actually uh, more and more distant from the Lord and maybe more distant from where God's calling you. Um, and then I already kind of said this, but I'll say it again. It keeps you focused on yourself, but thinking you're being spiritual. So you can put a little holier-than-thou label on it um, without actually experiencing all the peace and the presence of God that he wants you to have from true humility. So it's a very cleansing, purifying process. Come into God's presence and learn what real exaltation is because it says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. There is nothing more beautiful than a creature fulfilling its purpose. And you, sometimes when I think about this, I think about animals. Like watching a horse run just for the joy of it, its movement is perfect. It's beautiful. I love watching that. Um, I've grown up around hunting dogs my whole life, so watching a dog out in the field just excited to be alive and fulfilling its purpose and its tail wagging and its nose to the ground. He is full of pure joy and he's beautiful to watch because he's fulfilling his purpose. There's no, um, I want to say silt, but I, there's no impurities in what it is he's doing. There's no impurities in, his, in that dog or that horse, in that animal's joy or in their movement or in their um, focus. How much more beautiful on the human side when there's somebody ministering to the Lord 
with pure humility, pure joy. They know who they are without God, but then they also know who they are in the Lord. So then their ministry becomes that more pure, that much more beautiful, because they're ministering exactly where he has them. They're not trying to force something to happen. Your turn. All right. Um, and sticking with the theme of P words and alliteration, right? <laughs> we have pride. What did you just talk about? Thanks for listening. I was, I promise. <laughs> uh, purification. purification. I forgot myself. Now we have Put judgment, because I couldn't come up with another word. He said so judgment. I P I put, on front of judgment. Put a little P there. Uh, after thinking about it longer, I came up with pronouncement, but I kind of like put judgment. So <laughs> back to, you know, Summer kind of covered these actions on how to be a peacemaker. It's kind of this back and forth, right? So we're kind of back to this, what not to do. Uh, you know, how not to be a peacemaker in verses 11 and 12. So let's just read those two verses really quick. It says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so it's it's really back to... Um, are we focused on our own evil desires and starting to see all the faults and the mistakes in others and beginning to speak evil about others? Or are we humbled and submitted to God to where the focus isn't on all the faults of other people, but it's on God's goodness and God's truth and God's grace? And so again, this I think this is a little bit of a litmus test. Like we all find ourselves in those phases throughout our life where we all all we can think about is is how silly or how stupid or how wrong other people are and what they how what they're doing is so wrong and we talk about it and we speak evil of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so our our goal when we are making a judgment call as to whether a brother or sister is wandering from the truth is always restoration. And uh, when we look at chapters like Matthew 7 and James chapter 5, there's always this encouragement prior to um, looking at the fruit of a brother or sister in Christ that we need to look at ourselves first. You know, in Matthew 7, it's, it's removing the plank from our own eye. In James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, we're told that we, we need to confess our trespasses to one another and, and pray for one another prior to going and trying to restore a brother or sister in Christ that's wandering from the truth. And so there's ultimately really the point that I'm trying to make here in verses 11 and 12 is that, um, you know, we're going to have to judge brothers and sisters in Christ at some point. We're encouraged to. Part of our job is to hold each other accountable and, and to bring one another back to the Lord when we wander. But the goal is not to make a judgment the goal is restoration. And so we have to make these decisions. We, we make these determinations, but then the goal is always wanting to restore that person. So if we're finding ourselves with a heart that just says, Oh, I want to make the judgment and I want to talk about it. And I want to tell other people about all the horrible things that someone is doing. That's our, our cue. That's our litmus test that man, we're operating in pride and we need to go back and look at these actions in verses seven through 10 that Summer just talked about, um, you know, submitting and drawing near and cleansing our hands, um, and humbling ourselves. So 
So the fourth and final P is planning. So I'm going to read through verses 13 through 17, which is the end of the chapter. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So I found those first two verses super applicable. You don't know what's going to be life will be like tomorrow you made plans uh we made plans to go to california on a road trip uh here in just a few weeks and we have no idea if that trip is going to happen anymore but we we were sure it was we paid money for reservations all sorts of things so and i i bet especially with spring break happening right about now all of you guys out there had plans even if it was just to catch up on yard work or something we thought we knew what we were going to be doing Starting in verse 15, you boast in your arrogance. Here we have a contrast to the humility mentioned above. What is humility? It's seeing yourself realistically. So then, by extension, we could extrapolate that this definition of arrogance would be to have an unrealistic view about yourself or to lie to yourself and to others about who you really are. So sticking your head in the sand. Verse 16, all such boasting is evil. So this felt like an overreaction to me at first. Evil? Really? To say I'm going to go do something or start a business without all these other <laughs> caveats. Is that evil? But what did we learn in verse 7? That all of this about humility, purity, the presence of God and submission to God is the antidote to believing and living in the lies of the devil. So when we want to live according to our own plan versus living in submission to God, we're straying into dangerous territory. Verse 17. I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. That sounds, again, a little crazy <laughs> or extreme to our American minds or maybe to my American mind. Like the rich young ruler, though, you might be screaming from your legalistic soul at the screen, but I've kept the Ten Commandments. I'm a good person. What more can God expect? I'll tell you in just a moment, but right now let me encourage you to stay sensitive to what God is leading you to do. He has a specific mission and plan for each of your lives. Don't turn away from it and don't be blind to it for some mis from some misguided sense of humility or pride, which would be sin. So turn into it. Turn into God's plan and, and pursue submitting to God, finding his will, but more than finding his will for your life, find, seeking his presence. I believe finding his will will come as a result of that. But pursue his presence as intensely as you can. So to wrap it up, I'm sorry, I lied. One last P, practical application. So what does God expect? He expects freedom for you, freedom from the law and from guilt and shame, and freedom to live in the fulfillment of what he created you to do. As Americans, this quarantine can feel insanely hard or the extra stress we might be under at work from world, or from world events. But understand, this is not the hardest thing that many people in the world have ever gone through. I've been really convicted lately thinking about a lot of my friends in Uganda and South Sudan. And 
feeling like, oh, phew, I can minister to them in this. I can pray with them in this women's Bible study or whatever. I can um, greet them culturally how they want to be greeted, you know, as far as the, the close hugs and the close praying. And they, they put their arms around you or they hold your head and they're, they're this, you know, they're very close to you. Um, and they hold hands a lot. And I have been guilty of thinking, um, you know, oh, phew, I have my vaccinations. Oh, phew, I have my typhoid, my malaria med, whatever. So that now I can minister. And I've been feeling so convicted about that because most of the people that I met and served with that live and serve in Uganda or are Ugandans by birth, they don't have that luxury, yet they choose love, they choose service, they choose pursuing the presence and will of God every day. And that means ministering whether your health next week is guaranteed as a result of that ministry. It's been really inspiring for me to just go back and remember all these beautiful souls that I've met and ministered with and realize with conviction how um, how many crutches I had and, and using using those. I, I'm not even going to continue because I could just go on and on, but recognize that there's people that live and serve in this sort of pressure and environment every day of their lives, and that is how they live. There are people in the body of Christ around the world since history began undergoing a beautiful refining process through hardship. So two things. You are, you are okay, and God is holding you. You may wake up tomorrow and feel like the day ahead of you is impossible, but you need to know that his grace is sufficient. Number two, lean into the refining. Come out the other side of this more purified gold, more useful for the kingdom, closer to the Father, and more ready to serve those around you. The persecuted church was, would echo this, I am sure, but um, I will say it, that freedom is a state of the heart. So I'm going to close with a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 through 18. Starting in 15, even to this day when Moses is read, representing the law, a veil covered their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Here we go. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I find that incredibly transcendent it's it's hope for today it's hope for tomorrow it's what we're being called to and then um when paul was asking um the lord to take away the thorn in his side his health issue whatever it was he he was answered by god um my grace is sufficient for you my power is perfected in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of christ may rest on me so I just want to encourage you guys that you have this. God is already using you in powerful ways. I want you to be encouraged and just understand that when you don't feel powerful, you don't feel amazing, you don't feel like Superman or Superwoman, that's great. When you feel weak, that's perfect because then uh, God can begin to use you in more, more amazing ways. You just have to pursue his presence. Yeah, and I'll just close by saying, you know, I like James chapter 4. Like Summer mentioned, there's a lot of just really straightforward actions for us to do in this chapter. I, I like having the plain instruction of submitting to God, drawing near to God, cleansing our hands, 
asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and seeking his wisdom. And I'm, I just keep finding myself kind of excited for um, how God might use the church if we will do those things, if we will seek him, if we'll draw near to him, if we'll be full of his spirit. What an opportunity for the church to um, just be peacemakers in the world right now. So I hope that you guys are experiencing peace. We looked at the verse in Philippians last week about that uh, peace that surpasses all understanding. And um, I'm just really enjoying that right now, that even in the midst of this, that God is bringing this peace. And I, and I pray that he's bringing it for you too, and it's available there. We're encouraged to ask for it and pray for it in that section of Scripture. I uh, just want to let you guys know that we, we love you. We're praying for you. Um, I, I agree with Wade listening to worship earlier as they were practicing and recording. I just thought, man, I cannot wait until we are all back together and I can hear the voices in the sanctuary again. Absolutely. Um, but I think this time apart is going to make us appreciate the fellowship even more when we're able to gather again. So looking yeah. forward to being with you guys again. Love you guys and we're praying for you. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art, thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy prayer.
Lord, so that we don't wander in our own strength, seek a path that's by our own wisdom. We ask that you give us vision and that you pave our way with the light of your word that could be a lamp unto our feet and keep us secure and walking on the straight path. During these times of uncertainty, we trust in you. Thank you so much for this time of worship, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.